Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 43 of the podcast, the topic is digitized supply chain. Our guest is Arun Kumar Bhaskara Baba, head of global manufacturing IT at Johnson & Johnson. In this conversation, we talk about why J&J puts operators at the center of its strategy, the empowerment effect of frontline operations apps, the evolution of personalized production, and how supply chain becomes an integral part of product development. Augmented is a podcast for leaders, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip. Co, the frontline operations platform and associated with MFG.Works, the manufacturing upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast. Arun, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Tron? Oh, it's wonderful to see you and and hear you. I um I'm very excited. This is uh this is big interview. I you, you have really big responsibilities, Arun. Uh, we're gonna get to that in a second. But you know, global manufacturing that is a wide, wide topic. Yes, indeed. But uh, the more bigger responsibility, but more importantly, what we are privileged is how we are impacting the lives of patients and customers around the world with our products, right? That comes yeah. with the privilege to work in the healthcare environment. Well, I'm glad you said that because as we're sort of tracing, I, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, how, how you got to where you are. And, and I know from public uh, records, uh, at least that, you know, you have part of your schooling in India. So you grew up in India, my assumption is, and you got your computer degree there. You worked in India for a little while uh, for the Tata system. And then you made your way over to, to Michigan. You have your MBA yeah. from there. And then from what I understand, uh, you then had a bit of a career in automotive and then moved on to Dell. And, uh, and this brings us to J&J. Um, how did you end up in the US and how, 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 how was that journey for you? you so, you've, gone, you've come quite a, quite a bit of ways. Yes, um, it's interesting that you asked how I ended up in U.S. Uh, for me, it was a choice of either going to Japan or to U.S. And I'm a vegetarian, so for me, U.S. was a better choice. You know, growing up when you're a kid, you have only two years of experience, the decisions that you make, some priorities, right? That's, that's funny, but you but you told me Arun that you you came here with a briefcase and a ten dollar bill. Yes, that's I, uh, I guess not an unusual uh, immigrant story, but it but it is still quite striking. Absolutely, um, I grew up in a very small middle class family. So when I landed, I landed uh, the briefcase and a twenty dollar bill, actually two ten dollar bills, and out of that one ten dollar bill, I still have as a reminder of uh, where I started. Wow, and uh, and I, I, you know, I cut your career a little short because you have had the opportunity to work in all of the BRIC countries essentially, and you now manage teams uh, across, I think, at least twenty-eight countries, and uh, and that brings us, uh, I guess, up to to present day, where I, I was alluding to this, but you you have a very wide 
responsibility. We're going to talk about some of it. Can you tell me a little bit about your your current role? So my team supports all the manufacturing operations for J&J across the globe. So uh, we have 100 plus manufacturing plants in pharmaceutical, consumer, medical devices, and uh, vision products. As I mentioned earlier, privileged to be in healthcare to serve our patients and customers. We are in 28 uh, countries. My team is spread across. And it's a very humbling experience to really work in a global team and continue to support our operations across the world. Well, not only that, 28 countries, but uh, I understand you you operate about 100 manufacturing sites, some obviously kind of state-of-the-art, yeah. very big and, and sprawling, others actually very small or yes. at least mi- mi- mid-size and have all kinds of other issues. Uh, and and J and J, you know, what is the breadth of products you make? Uh, I mean, you make vaccines, you make knees, artificial knees. What, what else do you guys make? So this is amazing. Like I used to work for Ford Motor Company and Dell. Definitely, they are also very strong in manufacturing. However, there the manufacturing processes are very similar. Right? It is either assembly process or kitting and manufacturing at Dell. They come to J and J. This is any type of manufacturing you say we got it. Whether you talk about process manufacturing or discrete manufacturing, we have that. So in the pharmaceutical area, we produce biological products where we actually grow live cells and make medicine out of it. As you mentioned, like uh, the vaccines and uh, biological products. We also have big chemical products where we actually use big chemical reactions to produce the drugs. In medical devices, we have artificial knees and hips, which are more like a foundry operation, right? You take a mold, you put in an artificial knee and make it happen. And we have sutures that we produce. And in the consumer side, we have different types of liquids, gels and tablets that we produce. And finally, in vision care is where we produce our lenses in a very high velocity manufacturing so if you look at the breadth of the manufacturing processes and products we support, we support almost every aspect of uh, manufacturing. Well, this brings us to today's topic because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about digitizing these operations, the supply chains, but, but all the whole thing and, and think about what digital means to all of it, whether it's in pharma 4.0 or indeed you know, manufacturing and industry 4.0. Can you maybe... Just uh, kick us off a little bit and say, what does digital mean to your business today? And how do you, what is your main uh, take on how to approach it? So then the first thing is uh, really, I see digital as a means to an end. So if you think about it, it's really why digital is the first question and then what digital. We need to be very clearly understanding why we want to digitize. We are in the journey to transform our supply chain so that we can put our patients, our customers at the center of the supply chain and how we can get our products to our customers in a fast, nimble way and in an affordable way. If you think about healthcare, the key is affordability as well as ability for us to deliver what they need where they need. And if you think about even the vaccines that we are producing now, we are manufacturing only in some locations, but we have to distribute them everywhere, right? Whether to sophisticated networks like US 
or we're developing areas where we don't even have a lot of transportation like Africa, right? So how do we put the customer and the patient at the center and how can we actually serve them in a much more faster way and in an affordable way? So that is the why behind our supply chain journey. And digitization is a very critical component of that transformation. How do we provide that end-to-end connectivity so that we can reach our customers and patients? How do we understand what is happening in the markets and react to those things, sense quickly, as well as respond quickly using digital, and then ensure that we are delighting our customers beyond just our products, right? We have world-class products, but how do we make sure that we are delivering the same customer experience to our patients and customers? So for us, the what from the digital side is how do we build that end-to-end connectivity so that we can reach our customers, we can sense and respond very quickly. And finally, how do we make sure that we significantly improve our customer experience? I want to pick up on a couple of things, but let me first ask sort of a basic question. I mean, when I think supply chain, I think kind of back to business school where I was teaching for a while, and I think kind of a, a fairly dry subject that was a specialty subject. You either cared about it and then you wanted to become an expert and obviously dominate the field. But now you're speaking of it as it as if it is a much more integrated part of product development, which I think it was, you know, that was certainly taught as two separate courses, uh, e- even in the very immediate past. But you think of the supply chain as, as completely integrated with what you do, what you produce. Absolutely. If you think about even like where the healthcare is headed, right? You think about personalized healthcare, right? If I'm taking a knee right now, we ship like six or seven knees to the surgeon so that they pick the right knee during the operation. And we are getting to a place where we take the picture of the knee, get it back and make the product and then even 3D print it and give it to the surgeon. Or if you think about how we are personalizing, where we are taking the blood from the patient and making the product that is very specific to the patient and shipping them, shipping it to them. So the this whole flow of here is my R&D and then it goes to supply chain and then we deliver it versus it is now becoming a connected world where this all comes together. So it's really a very integrated part of product development and supply chain. So you really look at that end to end. And then digital is the one that is actually accelerating the journey, right? Because I can now connect all of these things as a digital thread and then really push the envelope forward. But but producing for a batch of one, I mean, it's enormously challenging at scale, no? Yeah, absolutely. That is That is the trick, right? How do I produce that batch of one? And if you think about the future where we can actually get to that, and where we can produce batch of one for almost like everything that we do is where we are headed. You're right. There are significant investments in terms of our manufacturing operations and the equipment that we need. And there is that balance between the scale that you need to have versus the personalization that is needed, right? And the balance is, I don't think the pendulum can go either one way or the other, but really we still have a lot more to move to the personalized level, right? How do we really become a pull supply chain so that we can produce that batch of one wherever possible? And look at that from the customer and patient's angle, right? If you have somebody who has a traumatic surgery going on 
and they have a bones that we need to fix and it is not the same from one trauma to another trauma right there you can't come back and say okay here is a batch of things that i'm producing and i'm going to give it to you so the customer expectations are also changing right as a patient and as a consumer their expectations are also changing and so we are moving to that batch of one and how do you do it for different products and how do you do it for different manufacturing processes is going to be tailored to that business model and then the product so another thing that one might assume when we speak about this because okay batch of one but it has to be an advanced system and it's covering the globe i mean historically if a factory has machinery or systems and 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 digital technologies it it is a very monolithic massive system um i understand that you have taken at least uh some care these days to focus on the operators why why is that so crucial to you and what does that mean for the kinds of technologies that you're putting into your factories nowadays so that's a very good question if you think about where manufacturing is headed so that we can drive that flexibility that approach so that we can quickly respond we have to relook at our manufacturing operations that means they need to be a lot more nimbler and a lot more flexible and we lot of technologies are emerging and that's all driving but for us at the end of the day it all comes back to that operator we are here to serve the operator we call it hashtag operator rules because think about this we can do all these flexible things we can bring in automation we can bring in robots and all of it at the end of the day there is an operator at the line who is making it happen so how do we make sure that we put the operator at the center and then create the experience for the operator so that it makes lot easier if you take any of our plants right the technology is going very fast we used to have like erp system the operator has to deal with an mes the operator then has to look at the equipment interface that the equipment provider has given oh now i am coming from a technology and saying okay here is the smart glass where is smart glass and you can look at everything right think about the operator how complex we have made the operator's life so we are trying to take a step back and say how do we first of all make it simple number 2 is how do we empower them right so far we all said that oh technology is the either manufacturing engineering or the ot or it people we held the keys for the technology but how do we really empower the operators so that they can make it flexible and then they can make it nimble so that, that gives you the velocity that we need at our manufacturing operations you know uh, it's striking right when you think about at least digital technologies now clearly you know there have been machines in factories for for centuries i mean that was sort of the the various industrial revolution so there has there there have of course been machines that could have been that could be operated by operators to some degree but the kind of control and the detail level uh you know customization uh that's now becoming m- possible it doesn't come naturally does it right it it takes a lot of attention to create those kinds of platforms how um how do you see that evolving and what you know for example i mean we said you know you have over 100 different sites 
some of them large, others much smaller. What, what sort of approaches are you taking to experiment with these solutions? So it's a purpose-driven experimentation, right? Uh, because to your point, when we have these large, fully automated uh, factories, the key is how fast I can introduce new capabilities into that operation. Whereas when I go to a middle tier factory with semi-automated or not as much automated, it is a very target problem driven. I have an OE problem. Let me figure out how do I experiment to bring the technology. But at the, both the spectrums, the key is to make sure that there is a good, robust architecture principles. There is good, robust security. And then there is a good data architecture. But from a solutions point of view, how do we make sure that these are modular? Right? Think about like the mainframe days where you need to know all those codes to run the application to now you have apps on your device. So how do we break these monolithic technologies that are running the operations into smaller apps, right? bite-sized chunks that we can actually deploy very quickly or pull it out? Right? And that gives me the flexibility to say for large site, I'm going to deploy all these 100 apps so that they can run it as a suite. Whereas I go to a smaller site, I might only deploy two of those applications for a specific problem. So it's kind of like really breaking down by number one, by purpose. Number two, having a good, consistent architecture. And number three, really breaking these monolithic things into smaller apps and nimble apps that we can drive. Um, I know that you've, you've tried some, some of Tulip's solutions. That, Tulip is a app system, but clearly the, the bar to completely replace you know, any number of advanced technologies that have developed over literally decades is not done overnight. How, how do you see the journey that app developers you know, on the manufacturing shop floor, what sort of journey are they going to have you know, with you, I guess, to sort of prove themselves over time to to gradually uh, solve many of these very ambitious problems. I mean, you you describe them pretty eloquently, but it's it's not you know right. They're different in each factory, like you pointed out, and uh, we're dealing with operators, some of whom are very advanced and have taken you know all kinds of industry four courses, and others who 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 have not. So this is a bit of a journey. Yeah, it is. A, it is a journey. And But there are similarities to this journey. If you think about maintenance of the equipment, it used to be a stronghold of those engineers that are sitting somewhere and they get to the equipment when there is a help needed. Look at where we are now. With operator asset care, we are empowering the operators to own that equipment and drive it. <coughs> so that is the same journey that we have to go through from the digital side. And the key is, first of all, making sure that we have platforms like Tulip and others that help us to be able to quickly develop those apps, of course, in a very consistent framework, right? especially for us when we are in a regulated industry, some of those framework and validation things become extremely critical, right? How do you set those boundaries? The second thing is educate the operators so that they feel empowered that they own the work that they are doing and they can shape it in the way they need to do it and tra continue to train them. And then the third level is to really train the rest of the organization. If the management and then the operations leaders 
they all need to be digitally savvy to drive that and then see the value right so it is a journey but you need to be very clear about why we are doing it and putting the operators at the center and helping them the thing that is going to help us is this whole covid pandemic situation right if you think about the digital savvy of almost like the entire world has significantly improved every operator whether we like it or not yeah they might not have a degree but they know how to order their uber eats right they know how to use an app right so we are seeing the digital literacy coming up very fast so this is a great opportunity for us to drive the transformation but you're right it is a journey but you also mentioned regulated industry i mean to what extent can some of these apps kind of slide in between the cracks and do stuff that was never covered by regulation and to what extent do you actually need to take very very good care that you are i guess also updating the regulations and kind of knocking on the doors of governments and telling them that look there's there's an app for this yeah. too and we need to upgrade the regulatory framework to take that into account so it seems to be a bit of a bit of both Yes it's it's a uh, it's you absolutely hit it on that you need to do both right one is first of all have a good robust architecture that's why the platforms like tulip where you need to ensure that the architecture is robust so that it has enough control so that we can drive this validation and qualification those things and giving the parameters of the freedom for the operators within those constraints and let's not forget cybersecurity right which is a huge thing especially when we come to the ot cybersecurity as well and on the other side sorry uh, no 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 go ahead on the other side on the other side we need to continue the regulators and work with the regulators to make sure that they understand what we are doing right we are now working with the regulators to educate them on real time release how can we actually use the data rather than having to produce these samples and batches as opposed to relying on a continuous data that is coming that shows that your process is in compliance right so working on both sides with the framework so that it is robust as well as regulators make sure that they understand how the technology is transforming at the same time the compliance is improving think about it when you are doing samples one you are taking one sample from a batch but when you are doing continuous sampling you have the whole sample whole product product batch data you have in your hands right so kind of like what continue to work with them uh, to make sure that the regulators are also coming with us in that journey how how is pharma 4.0 going is it going uh, i mean the acronym is the same as industry 4.0 is is uh, 4.0 actually happening and are, are we still in 3.0 as like we we are we we in pharma world we have like i would say like we still have 2.0 to 3.12 to 3.33 and there are some great examples where we have the 4.0 right when i talk about uh, what we are doing with the personalized uh, solutions right when we talk about how we are bringing iot to the forefront how mm-hmm. we are doing real time release with digital twins of our whole process right now we have digital twins for even for bioreactors which are very difficult to characterize so yes the journey is there the key is to keep in mind why we are doing it right to really make sure that we have the patient that are waiting for our products at the mind and then really transform around to support them 
So the journey is continuing. Yes, there are very good examples for Pharma 4.0, but are we there yet? No, but um, is everybody working together to get there? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about this operator and, and the training of an operator because training the workforce is, uh, you know, something I ask a lot of the people who come on this podcast about just because, you know, technology is one thing, but training people on the technology to implement it in a, in, in a fruitful way is a whole other challenge. What, what approach are you taking at uh, the whole sort of J&J complex when it comes to training your existing future and uh, even training your ecosystem around you? I think a couple of things there. One is, uh, first of all, making sure that you start with the user experience in mind and design everything from there. Right? So, so you need to start with the design aspect. The second thing is, how do we make it simple? The more simple you make, the less training. How many people are getting trained on how to use uh, iPhone? So really, how do we make it so simpler? But actually, in the future, I'm thinking like, and, and this I actually got from one of your podcast, Rand, is are we going to get to a point where there is no interface? Right. So can we get our apps to a state where the inter there is no interface, then your training becomes a lot more part of the evolution rather than you have to go, oh, now I need to learn this and I need, no. It should be so intuitive that it's like my gesturing with my hands, right? So how do I get to that state? Hopefully that state comes in soon, right? As uh, you've been discussing with some of them. But um, for me, it is really how do we keep on making it so simple that it becomes intuitive and it starts with the design where you put the operator at the center and design around the operator. Hmm. Can we talk a little bit more specifically about the digitized supply chain? Because it is such a, a core to, to what you are up to. And I know that um, there are some characteristics that you care about the most. Uh, one of them, I think uh, you mentioned to me, was being very responsive. But what are the priorities when you are redesigning a supply chain? What are the kinds of things that you know, is like top of mind for you? Where, and, and where do you sort of start? You start with the customer, customer experience. How do we make sure that that is clear on how it is impacting the customer experience? Now, to help with the customer experience, how do we drive that responsiveness in your supply chain so that you can respond very quickly to what is happening at the demand side, the customer side, and then link it back? And then the next one is really the resiliency. How do we build that resiliency in supply chain so that we can react very quickly? If there is one thing that COVID taught us is that resiliency in our supply chains actually helped the world to, in one way, to survive this pandemic and continue to survive. Right? So how do we drive that resiliency in the supply chain? What do you think about these uh, very traditional concepts that have been part of, and I, you know, you had your start of your career in automotive, you know, lean management uh, is something that everybody wanted to copy, right? And, you know, the Toyota processes and, you know, a lot, a lot of, from the country you chose not to study in essentially because <laughs> they, you were convinced they were vegetarian enough. But anyway, um, w what do you think about the, the uh, I guess, the heritage from, from lean and, and mixed in with some of the kind of the agile tradition from, from software. Is that altogether creating kind of a new paradigm? And, and, and what does that look like? And, and you know, who's describing it? If you, if you would maybe describe where some of your 
influences come from when you are designing, uh, you know, such a large organization around these principles? At the heart, the the lean principles and agile principles are still really valid, right? If you think about lean, what it is saying is think about the flow, eliminate the waste, and continue to improve, and zero defects is possible, right? So that mindset has to be there for us to even look at digital. What digital is doing is actually helping us to implement lean even faster, right? How do you get there? Now, from a responsiveness, and we talked a lot about the responsiveness and reacting and resiliency, that requires this agile mindset, right? These traditional boundaries of, okay, I'm going to go from plan to make, plan, source, make, deliver. This is becoming a network. The only way you can survive in that network is having that agile mindset where we bring people together very quickly, get the problem solved, deliver that MVP, and don't look back and then move on to the next one, right? So the agile principles around bringing the teams together very quickly to focus on the key priorities and delivering on the MVP, aligned with the lean thinking to make sure that there is no waste and we are getting the flow done, actually is, is, is a great combination of these two. And these are the two things that need to come together, even for us to roll out the digital solutions very quickly in our operations. And the COVID has been a great example. If you think about uh, how we came together to deliver a product for the instruments, right, in a very quick way, right, across the world in a virtual way has been a great example that shows that it can be done, right? So that's where the lean foundations and then the agile mindset are extremely critical even for us to drive this uh, digital transformation. If you think about how this was built, um, what are some of the m- best influences that you know help you along the way? We we talked a little bit about startups that m- bring you know the app mindset and maybe some of the agile thinking. You know, it doesn't necessarily come from startups, but certainly it does exist with startups. Where where are some where are these industry practices that you are increasingly kind of embodying at J&J, where, where, do you, where do you think they come from? Actually, they come from many places, right? And I think like you're, for startups, really one of the places where we can actually see how their mindset is there in terms of test and learns and learning from failure and move forward, right? And even I'm looking at some of the journeys, like how companies like Tulip are evolving as well, right? Especially those companies, those are from a startup to accelerating phase. That's where we are seeing a lot of the learns that we can learn, right? And one of the big things that we at J&J look at is how can we look at our CEO is saying, hey, we need to act like a 135-year-old startup, right? <laughs> so how do we actually look at it? And to your point, where we are looking for, we are looking for everywhere, right? One is really that those startups, but more importantly, those startups that kind of like cut that first phase and now accelerating. That's where that whole, all the processes need to come together. And then at the end of the day, we still have to be reliable, right? And we are in a regulated industry. So how do we make sure that the patient safety, product quality are the top priority and our processes are reliable, right? That's where the established companies also help us on how do we continue to drive that. Yeah, because that's what I guess I wanted to drive to because there is an established idea in the established industry 
to look for industry best practices. And, you know, in the manufacturing space, there are these lighthouse projects, you know, companies that on their own might have lighthouse projects that are especially good. And the World Economic Forum has lighthouse factories. In fact, they have designated places around the world where they have kind of tracked and figured out that they are uh, of a sufficient quality to kind of put up as inspirational lighthouses for others. W what is your view on, you know, how well that works, uh, you know, as a practice? For example, you have a hundred sites. Is it possible to tell one site, become more like, say, site A, because, you know, look at site A, how well they're doing. Isn't that also a bit of, ch of a challenging message to communicate? No one yeah. likes to be like, all right, I understand. <laughs> uh, my golf swing is not up to par. I get it. I need to look at my neighbor over here. It's uh, not always a fantastic message. No, speaking of that, actually, we have five sites that are lighthouse sites, right? Um, and we have one that is going to come up with uh, one of the projects that we're working as well is in one of the sites with Tulip for the lighthouse site. But the thing is, the knowledge grows by sharing. The more you share, the more you are going to grow the knowledge and the faster the adoption is going to be. You're absolutely right. It does not mean that just because this is a lighthouse site, they are at like a pedestal and then everybody else is in another place. I actually look at the other way around, right? What did those lighthouse sites do that we can actually copy and paste so I don't have to reinvent? Yeah. And then I can focus on something else as well, right? So the lighthouse sites are helping us to really share that knowledge so that we can learn from one another, we can build on it, and then we eliminate the need for us to redo the things that they have gone through. But you're absolutely right. That doesn't mean that, that those are the only sites that are doing everything and everything everybody else is not. But sometimes the the copy cats that are coming behind the lighthouse might be the best of thing because they can get five lighthouse practices and implement and then really show that they can actually transform their manufacturing operations much more faster. Well, and, and that's true, right? In the history of manufacturing, the, it's, you can actually leapfrog it. It, it, is a, it is still a field where, you know, if you do many things right, you know, you, you definitely make, uh, make a difference. I wanted to sh uh, shift tack a little bit, Arun, and, and uh, uh, move to sort of like coming, coming year, coming years. What are some of the industry developments that you are the most excited about? So we've talked, you know, generally about digital. We've talked about personalization. What are some of the things that are going to be most crucial to get right? And even just like in the, in the year ahead, it's been a very, it's been a wild ride, right? Yes. In the last 12 to 15 yeah. months, what's going to hit us in the next year? And what are, what are you focused on? So let me break it into a few different areas. One is purely from the um, technology side of it, right? If you look at how 3D printing is going to evolve and how it is going to help us to change significantly. How the digital twin and digital threads that are coming up fast that we can actually connect. And then more importantly, how the machine learning and AI models that are coming up that help us to be responding very quickly. So I'm very excited about those areas, how 3D printing is transforming our operations, how we are able to bring digital twins, digital thread, and machine learning to really drive that end-to-end -end thread all the way to the customer. The second area is from a mindset point of view, right, is 
how resiliency and responsiveness has become a kind of like a norm now, right? If you think about the COVID pandemic, what it has done is how that resiliency and responsiveness has become a norm. So how do we actually drive that and don't lose that as we come out of the pandemic and then go forward? And the final one is, I'm going to go back and harp on the culture side of it. How do we drive that culture where we let that operators be empowered and learn from it and let them be the kings and we all serve the operator hashtag operator rules and we support that culture change, that digital change, and which is really going to be accelerated because they are becoming more and more digital savvy, right? So there is the technology aspect and there is actually this responsiveness. And finally, how do we drive that digital savvy across the organization? So my last question, and, and I don't know how fair that question is in, an, in a context that you're in, because I could imagine that given the amount of factors that are moving at any given moment, very long-term thinking seems perhaps a little farther away from your, your everyday life, right? Because there are so many things that could go wrong literally every minute. But if you, if you do look, if you permit yourself and me to think a little bit longer term, you know, towards the next decade, uh, what are, I mean, are these things that on the digital side, you know, digital twins and AI and machine learning and, and 3D printing, as this this decade moves to a close, are there other things on your horizon as well that will even more drastically transform the, the landscape? I mean, are factories, are digital factories going to be really coming into the scene and, you know, really transforming the way uh, are we going to recognize a factory even, you know, the next decade or am I kind of overblowing this and, you know, things are just fairly complicated and it's going to take quite a long time to sort of shake out and, and integrate all these technologies with, with all of the workforce challenges and the culture challenges that you just pointed out. Yes. I, I imagining the future, first of all, I really love the idea of like almost like no interface intuitive use of technology. Yeah. Can we get to that? That's one. The second thing is, yes, there will still be like big, big manufacturing areas. Some of them are tied to the physics and biology, so we cannot change. But everything else can actually significantly change. Right. And if you think about can we actually do a factory in a box very quickly for vaccine production in a South I'm like a developing world that cannot afford and we deploy it very quickly. Right? So will we get to a point where it becomes more of like Lego blocks that we can assemble very quickly and get it up and running? Right, And everything has an equivalent digital model that we really don't have to worry about it. It is not about the digital twin of my operations, but if I take the digital twin of my patient's body and the digital twin of operations, think about how easy for me to actually respond to that personalized request or personalized medicine. So um, since you uh, let me kind of like imagine and let my thoughts flow a little bit more broader, it's really bringing that digital equivalency. So can I actually take my digital equivalent to respond to the digital twin to get the personalized product for me, either in a batch of one or even maybe like batch of 10 if batch of one is not possible, right? So can I, uh, So the factories of the future, yes, some of them might not significantly change. 
but most of them will be that flexible way to bring them together for specific product or specific customer and being able to reassemble very quickly to do something else and then the intelligence can it move to the equipment so that the equipment itself can rearrange itself based on the customer needs but then what is the implication to the workforce and what is the implication to the operators so this were getting those operators to be a lot more digital savvy and really helping to manage this complexity will be a great foundation but at the same time that is something that we all need to watch right yes all of this can happen but we need to watch for how do we bring our people together yeah and i could just imagine being uh, putting myself back in my uh, old government days scratching my head about self regulating systems in the medical yes. field right <laughs> that, yeah. that would would seem to be a, a little bit of a of a challenge as well so there are so many so many interesting challenges but it seems to me that even if you are occupied you know every minute with operational challenges and and even just digitizing a supply chain without fundamentally changing its logic is going to you know is going to take you know all all uh men and women on on deck right it's just yes. it's a cultural challenge it's not just a technology challenge absolutely it is it is a cultural challenge well look it's been uh, fascinating to hear and i hope i can check back uh, in with you it seems to me that if we had had this interview just even just 15 months ago some of these challenges might have looked a little bit less rosy and we wouldn't have been you know discussing about the next decade i mean i i'm assuming that a lot of things for you uh, in your business have have really i guess opened up through throughout this pandemic is that right it, yeah. some of these opportunities just weren't there before absolutely right a lot of the acceleration first of all um we are privileged to serve our patients right and we have a big part in helping the world get through the pandemic our vaccine and even how we have brought in digital twin into our vaccines in a very faster way was enabled by the pandemic situation the whole digital acceleration of some of our solutions that were sitting on the shelf for almost like 6 to 9 months the demand for them grew up within the first few months of the pandemic right so the digital acceleration of our operations has happened the third thing as i said earlier is the digital savvy of our day to day citizen is helping us to bring these values much more faster to our patients and customers around the world that's 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 a very interesting statement because when you cannot innovate faster than your end client then you're really dealing with a, the total ecosystem here right yes, you actually yeah. depend on your end your end client to be caught up with yes. all of these technologies it's a fascinating challenge and probably very important too because yes. it it there is an a, a little bit of an insurance policy there no arun because if you if you cannot be more advanced than your end user is at least you have the time to or you have to take the time to educate the the end user and get their real feedback on on what needs to happen so so that leaves me on an on an optimistic note and you know if you have any any last statement i certainly i thank you for for your time and uh if you have a, a last challenge you know there are so many there's so many challenges where you you could you could launch but if you if you think to your fellow industry uh executives what what is the the one thing maybe you want to leave them with that 
what you think is a, a shared challenge that people should focus uh, mo- more on in, in industry these days? Keep the operator at the center. Hashtag operator rules. Let's make sure that we empower them, we help them to be as digitally savvy as possible. That will actually help us to move these needles much more faster. Arun, I thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I hope I can invite you back someday. Definitely. It's been great, Trang. You have just listened to episode 43 of the Augmented Podcast with host Rune Arne Unheim. The topic was digitized supply chain. Our guest was Arun Kumar Bhaskara Baba, head of global manufacturing IT at Johnson & Johnson. In this conversation, we talked about why J&J puts operators at the center of its strategy. My takeaway is that operators are the key to the next phase of industrial evolution, that which involves the deep digitalization of manufacturing, its supply chain, production capacity, personalization, and with that, the reinvention of factory production itself. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 21, The Future of Digital in Manufacturing, episode 27, Industry 4.0 Tools, or episode 10, A Brief History of Manufacturing Software. Augmented, conversations on industrial tech.